0: We've been sitting at the feet of a not-so-well-known author. In fact, we don't even know who he is. But we know that the Holy Spirit anointed him to write these words. And so we've been studying Hebrews for more than 20 weeks, and it's become, to me anyway, and I trust with you, a rich well, a mind full of gold and silver and precious stones, and so that we can take that as our own and apply it to our lives. And it becomes richness to us in living the life that Jesus Christ ordained for us when he brought us to himself. He is the one that we're following. And as the Hebrews writer started out, that he is the one that we're looking toward, and this is a race that we are in. With athletes, you have to have a mentor. You have to have someone who brings you along. You don't just get out there on a snowboard, at least I don't, and go down a half pipe and do all the things that they do. Nor can you get in a race and just run it the first time and win. It takes hard work and practice and applying principles of whatever sport or activity that you are led to pursue. And that is the way it is also with the Christian life. And that is why we gather together weekly to examine the life of Jesus, the life of believing in Jesus, and of sharpening one another and bringing each other to the place where we are walking out our daily lives, not in this room, but out there in myriads of scenarios and places throughout Tokyo, and our influence is going beyond us, beyond this room, because it is being applied by the Holy Spirit through our lives, in our workplace, in our families, in our school, with our closest friends. That is what the Christian life is all about. And those that don't participate in that kind of practice are failing, not because they're not here, but because they are losing out on the opportunity that they have to be stimulated and to be encouraged and built up to be able to live the Christian life out there. We're not just practicing Christianity here. In fact, I think that much of what we do here really is not the Christian life. Just sitting here and listening to one guy speak, that's not the Christian life. It's out there living out what the Word of God has taught us And to share it with others. That's what Jesus did. He left heaven to come to the earth to be our example. And then he said, go into a building and close yourself in. No, go into all the world. That is the plan of God. It's not for us to just cluster here and wait for Jesus to come. It's for us to get out there. That's where it really counts. Being here is practicing. And it's setting our minds, forming our minds to look to the scriptures, to be able to hear the truth, apply it to our hearts and our lives, and then live it out six days of the week. That is God's plan that's his purpose. And so we have to look to the one who is our model, our example, looking to Jesus. We have, like I said, spent 20 weeks together already. No, actually it was 21 because I broke up one message into two. And I might even do that again if I don't hurry here. Hebrews 10, 26 to 39. Let's read. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of just two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he deserves who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. We're going to just back up a few verses here to this passage that we've just read and understand that The words that we've just read may seem to bring us into a position of thinking, well, wait a minute now, what's this message all about? And what is the pastor going to lay on us this morning? Well, let me just assure you, I am not a hellfire preacher. okay? But we are to encourage one another. And that's what we talked about last week. And I think that the envelope that the author has wrapped this passage that we just read, the envelope is encouragement, not discouragement. He is trying to show us that there is a dangerous place to go and that the right way to follow is to be encouraging to us. If you don't know what is bad out there to follow or do. You don't know what is good. And good has a part, a dichotomy or a another side to it. If you don't do what is good, you'll be in trouble. That's what I learned when I was a little boy. And that's what most of us learned. If you do something that your parents told you not to do, there is punishment. And in some cases, it gets pretty terrifying. I remember when I went to live with my uncle, I don't think I thought him as a a very angry man. I was 11 years old, you remember? Some of you, I've told you my story. And by the time you're 11 years old, you're not a kid anymore, right? But I remember the first time that he got angry with me and punished me. And I thought, how could this loving uncle be so mean to me? Well, it's because I was a pretty bad kid. I had lived on the streets of a Canadian town stealing from stores. This isn't confession time, (laughs) those sins have already been forgiven. But I remember leaving that town all of a sudden because my parents sent me away. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And I was on this train headed to hundreds of miles away from those things that I had stolen. And guess where I had placed them? Well, the safest place in town, behind the bank building, (laughs) on a fire escape. I had stolen things from a drugstore or a variety store, and I'd hid them in this place behind the bank. I was a sinner, and I really didn't know I was a sinner yet. But when my uncle then, who was a pastor, got angry with me and punished me, I thought, I don't deserve that kind of treatment. You know, I was a spoiled brat and didn't know that he truly loved me until I came to know that fall in a meeting that the preacher was talking about Jesus forgiving sin. And I was convicted and I went forward and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior as an 11-year-old. So we know what is good and bad, don't we? Instinctively, we do. Adam and Eve did. What was the first thing that they did? They hid from God. Well, first of all, they covered up from each other. And so there was a breaking of that relationship with them. You know, it really was between Adam and Eve. It wasn't the animals. The animals didn't know anything about being naked or not. But they sure did. Adam and Eve knew what it meant. And immediately sin brought the conviction and understanding that they were sinners. And then they hid, not just from each other, but from the God who made them and put them in a garden and loved them. And he called to them, Where are you? They were hiding from the one who had made them and loved them and provided all that they needed. And that was our first parents. So every one of us have that built into us. Some of us aren't kids any longer, some of us are. But we all need discipline. We all need to know what is terrifying, what is on the other side of obedience, disobedience and its consequences. And we have to pay for it. Well, you say, well, Jesus paid it all. That is true. But the consequences live with us the rest of our life. He has not taken the consequences away. And he won't until he comes back and redeems us completely from this world to where everything is perfect and there is no more sin, no more death, no more tears. No more crying. We will be perfectly perfect. And now we only walk in the perfection of Jesus Christ in our lives as we yield to him daily. That was not even in my notes here. (laughs) But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, what does he mean by the day? If you put day into your computer, of course you've got to open up a Bible search website, searching the scriptures, quite often what you will find is the phrase, the day of the Lord, when it says, the day. And so I think that this the day that the author is referring to is referring to the day of the Lord. Okay, so if you expand your search, and you type in the day of the Lord, let me tell you, it will come up with some very scary verses, terrifying verses, that are there for a purpose. And they are warning signs that are saying, there's a cliff coming up and slow down. Otherwise you will fall over the cliff. So the day of the Lord is like that. And it's referring to when he wraps up the whole world and comes back, Jesus Christ comes back, and he receives those who are his. You've read the separation of the goats and the sheep, right? You know what that's about. Many of us act like we're goats, we're butting each other around. But Truly, what is our heart like? What is it like? And that's what our author here is trying to help us focus so that we have a balanced understanding of what the Christian life is about. We are not spoiled brats. We are loved and he disciplines us and he shows us himself and his care for us. And that's what the warning is here. There's two ways that we can look at discipline and this word, the day. It can be either judgment, as in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 to 3, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While we are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly and they will not escape. Now you read that, and you think, well, this is not very encouraging. Well, it isn't if you are going the wrong direction. In your Christian life, you've let down your guard, you've walked away from the fellowship of the believers, you've stopped reading your Bible, you've stopped praying. This is a warning. On the other hand, this is an encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Just keep doing this, folks. Just keep meeting. Just keep blessing one another. And we'll all get to that expected end. And we'll meet our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not that we're condemning and saying, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. No. That's not what the Christian life is about at all. The Christian life is about walking in his way, encouraging each other to follow him. If we go on sinning willfully is in verses uh, 26 to 31. Set my second point. Remember the former days, 32 to 34. and Do not throw away your confidence in 35 to 39. So let's take the first point. If we're following in the way of sinning, and by the way, how do we know that we're sinning? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is not just encouragement, but it's speaking to us and saying, Ron, that was not the right thing to say to somebody. That's not a right attitude. That is contrary to the spirit and heart of Jesus Christ. And we sense that, and our consciences should be pricked and sensitized by the Holy Spirit and by his word. And if we just say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, and we don't repent, we don't acknowledge that it is actually sin. What happens is that our consciences become seared, that means burnt or destroyed to a certain extent, and we're not bothered about it anymore. We can just go ahead and do that and not even be bothered. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's happened to all of us, hasn't it? that something that you know that you shouldn't be doing and you're doing it, and there's a still small voice that says, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of truth. And we need to develop the sensitivity to that voice, not to the point of going around cringing in fear, but in the attitude of, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow in your way. I want to be your person where you've placed me. That's what that is all about. But if you don't, verse 26 says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Let me get something clear right here. There are people that believe that the Bible teaches a doctrine that's called eternal security. How many have heard of that term, eternal security? It is a teaching that once you have believed in Jesus, once you have said that you are going to follow him and you call yourself a Christian now, you can never lose Your salvation. Even if you go away from Jesus, you can't lose it because the sacrifice has already been made. That is not taught in the scripture. That is not a biblical teaching. Yes, do I believe that there is security in believing in Jesus? Yes, there is. But not when you're going the opposite direction of what Jesus has taught us. So be careful. Be careful. That's what the author is talking about here. If you don't, there's a terrifying expectation of judgment. And there'll be many people at the end, I believe, that will think they're, well, I go to church every Sunday. I give the offering. And yet you've grown cold in your heart. You've come to a point where you're not really very concerned about what your life in Christ is all about. You're not practicing truth. And the author here says, you're trampling underfoot the Son of God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I think that the reason why the Hebrews author puts that the living God rather than the forgiving God, or the loving God, or the Savior God, is a living God means he is actually in your life and is there giving you guidance and responsibility for the gospel that you hear. And so that somebody says, well, you can never lose your salvation, that is really not a true teaching. Because there's so many warnings that if you're going the wrong direction, it's going to end in disaster. Well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. So let's let's move on. There's another error that we can come to. There's another thought on this that you have to be careful that you will lose your salvation. And so there's preachers, teachers... That say, be very, very careful because if you sin, you won't be going to heaven. And that teaching is, the two teachings here are either you are a Calvinist or you are an Arminian. Basically, there are two opposing positions on who is a Christian and how do they maintain their Christianity. How do they maintain their relationship? John Calvin taught, if you are a believer, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you're secure. And you don't have to worry about your salvation any longer. Well, there are many, many, many promises that if you've trusted in Christ, you are his. And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, then there was the Armenians who said, no, that is not right. Because if you sin, you are in jeopardy of losing your salvation or perhaps you never even were saved. And how do we even know that we're saved? And so many are saying, well, okay, if you have sinned this past week, would you all raise your hand that have sinned this past week? Now I want you to come up to the front here and bow down and kneel down here and ask God and beg God to forgive you for your sin. No, there are preachers that do that. And you get saved all over again. No, it doesn't work either way. It works in knowing that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is securely holding you in his hand. You are his obedient child, but you're a spoiled brat. And you need to confess your sin. You need to acknowledge you need Him and His saving power in your life. We need to do that daily and walk in that attitude. When Katie and I were in Bible college, the founder of that college told us that Calvinist, Arminian, if you are a person who is worried you don't know whether your sins have really been forgiven and that you're really a christian and so every sunday you go down to the front and ask god to save you again he says you need to read the scriptures that the calvinists are teaching but for you calvinists who think "Eh, i've got it made i'm in you need to read the scriptures that the armenians are looking at that you are in a terrifying position And you need to get it right in your life. There's a balance here. And that's what I believe the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here. It is terrifying at the day of the Lord when he comes back and he judges and he chooses those whom he has called. That's terrifying. It should be terrifying even to those of us who have walked with him other than the fact that We have him in our hearts and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and is faithful to us through his word to speak to us and to keep us on what we call the straight and narrow. We need to be balanced in our Christian life, in our thinking, so that we're not going off this way or that way. Remember the former days. When, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Now this is talking about sufferings that are external, not within yourself. After being enlightened, you endured. Verse 33, make a public spectacle. Partly by being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. These believers, the Hebrew believers, were those who were in a situation that we've explained before. They were halfway between the Old Testament teaching and that which they were beginning to understand was the teaching of the cross and what Jesus Christ had brought with his birth, death, and resurrection and ascension. And some of them were going back to the old ways. Persecution was getting them down and they were beginning to feel and sense the pressure of we need to go back to the temple. We need to go back to the sacrificing. They were a transitional church. And so it was hard for them then to realize, okay, did we really understand what Jesus Christ was all about or do we need to go back to the sacrifices? But in the midst of that suffering that they were going through. And the suffering was coming from the Judaizers, those who believed in the temple worship. And they were putting pressure on the Christians. You've got to come back if you're going to have assurance of being the people of God. This was hard for them as believers. And they went through some very tough tribulation. They were made public spectacles in reproaches and tribulations sharers and sufferings but they showed sympathy for those that are around them and accepted it joyfully knowing there was a better possession and a lasting one and the writer of Hebrews says let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works and the point that he's making here is that they were just small groups of Christians. And they needed to encourage one another, not to go back to the Old Testament, but to stay and encourage one another, stimulate one another, and to live in love and in good deeds. This was an encouraging word. This was not a condemnatory message to them. And then he says in verses 35 to 39. Do not throw away your confidence. Luke 21:25 to 28 I'll just read that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth dismay among the nations bewildered by the roaring of the sea and surging of the waves men will faint from fear and anxiety over what is coming upon the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to happen, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Well, we've come 2,000 years down the road from that. And we are still there. And the book of Hebrews is teaching us that we should hang on, Keep believing, knowing that our redemption is drawing nigh. There's a great reward for us ahead. We, as the people of God, need to be most encouraged. I think we are very close. Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4 is quoted in this passage that we just read. Some of you probably have followed the news of what just happened in the United States this past week with the shooting in Florida, 17 people. Do you know what it is? It's a love of violence. The United States used to be known as a Christian nation. Habakkuk is a book, a commentary on violence in the earth. Read it. I encourage you to read it this week. But it also has some incredible promises and statements that we need to hold on to today for what we are going to be facing here in the world. Let's just read that. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We can face what is ahead for us. We can put our trust in Jesus Christ and we can know for a surety that whatever happens in these next few years or days, we will trust in the Lord. He is our sure promise and the one who will keep us in times of trouble. We are not those who shrink back. In other words, We want to hide. But we're those who have faith. And next week we're going to get into the faith chapter. And we're going to see and recognize names that we've read before and understand what faith is about so that we don't see it just as something nebulous out there, but it's something that we can apply to our lives in practical, everyday living Moses and Abraham and Daniel and all of those who are mentioned. Even Samson is mentioned in chapter 11. There's somebody in this chapter that you and I can relate to. And they're listed as men and women of faith. And that's what we are, those who are of the faith. But encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord drawing near. He's soon to come. This may be my last message here. This may be your last opportunity to gather together at MCC. We don't know. I think it's very close until the Lord comes back. We need to be about the business of Jesus Christ. Encourage one another as you see the day appearing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these encouraging words, that these aren't just empty and without promise and great treasure and great expectation. We thank you that we can put our faith in what is being said, regardless of what the news says, regardless of what way the the world is going. May we be able to apply these truths to our lives this week and be able to come forward believing, trusting, holding on to the Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray in his precious name, in the name of Jesus, amen.